the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. We have seen God work the miraculous by liberating the Israelites from their bondage to Egypt. God gave them His moral law and the civil and ceremonial laws by which they would interact with Him and with each other. Though they had failed and broken their covenant with God, Israel was shown mercy. God had been preparing a new generation to enter the land promised to them. Moses was writing about their history, reminding them of God's past faithfulness so that they would walk into their promised future. He recounted the day that ten of the twelve spies caused the heart of the nation to fall, doubting God's love and ability to provide. We will see how all these spies failed except Joshua and Caleb as we join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36. Except, verse 36, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Why? He shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he has trodden upon. He was one of the faithful spies with Joshua. And to his children, because he has wholly followed the Lord. I love this, because wholly followed there, it means to be completely dedicated to pursuing something. That made me stop for a moment as I was studying. I'm like, whoa. Caleb, he said he was completely dedicated to following what? It's not actually a what, right? It's a who. He was completely sold out, dedicated to following the Lord. When I think of Caleb, I think of this fiery, brave guy. He wasn't given the best name. Caleb means dog. Back then, dog is not generally, was not considered this happy thing. So I don't know. I mean, we think of our pet dog and it's all everything like that. Whatever people treat their dogs like kids today. And if you do that, no condemnation. But I always pictured kind of this rough and tumble guy. He's got this name like, hey, dog. And he's like, I'll show you a dog. I mean, he just seems like that fiery kind of guy, like don't mess with him. But like, he didn't believe this. He didn't believe that God would give him the land because he's just some brave dude. He was sold out to being wherever the Lord was. Do you get that? He was sold out. Wherever God was going, that's where he was going to go. Wherever the Lord was going to be, that's where he wanted to be. He was wholly dedicated to knowing the Lord, to his relationship with the Lord. And that's what kept him in the midst of all the obstacles that he saw around him. Because what he wasn't seeing was them. All he saw was the Lord's going this way. I want to be with him. And isn't that what Paul said in the New Testament when he said, I am pursuing the high prize of my calling. I press on. Everything else can go behind, but I press on to the high price of my calling. And what was it? That I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Caleb was cut from the same cloth. He wanted to know the Lord and follow his lead. And he was completely dedicated to pursuing that. And I ask you tonight, is that your mindset? Where everything else just needs to get out of the way, right? All the obstacles, you're not gonna see those things. I just see the Lord's going this way. I'm gonna go that way. 
The Lord told the, the disciples where he was going, right? Going to the cross. What did one of them say? I think it was Philip. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and what the way is. Maybe it's Thomas. I can't remember. I think it was Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And that's when those famous words that mean so much to me now. You ever faced a situation you don't know what to do? You know, you're not exactly sure what to do. You're like, how do I handle this, Lord? And then just things are approaching. Things are approaching. You're like, I don't know what to do. Like, nothing's changing. And you're waiting for kind of, for kind of all of a sudden, like, God to drop the magical answer down. You're like, ah, there's the answer. Or bring somebody into your life with a suggestion. You go, that's the answer. And when I was over in Israel, there was a situation, not there, but just back here that was facing me. And I just, I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just praying, God. I've been seeking him for a while. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And one of the guys who was teaching taught about where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he was talking about how we have these questions and we're like, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? And the Lord's just like, I'm the way. Me, follow me. Just pursue me. That's the direction you need to go. And I finally, when I kind of just decided to lay down all the other, like, yeah, I know you're the way, but I want to know the way. And the Lord's like, I am the way. <laughs> it's what it means. You know this verse. You have this memorized since you were a baby Christian. You've been walking me for this many years. I am the way. And when I realized that, I just kind of broke down inside and I thought, Lord, it's that simple, isn't it? Just follow you. And you all you, end up where I need to be. I don't need to keep my eyes on the obstacles. What, do I, what about this? What about this? He's like, just focus. <laughs> Stay focused, Will. I'm right here. Just follow my footsteps. And you know what? A peace just flooded my heart and I was like, that's good enough for me. And since then, it's awesome to be able to rest in the fact I'm not sure what to do here or here or here, but I don't need to know because I already do know. Just follow my Jesus. Just like Caleb did, wholly, completely dedicated to pursuing him. The reason that Caleb and Joshua succeeded where those other 10 leaders failed, those other 10 leaders who had the same Holy Spirit, the same power of God upon them that the other 10 failed in, one difference. Those two men were convinced that God loved them, absolutely convinced that God loved them. That was the difference. And you know what's interesting? Even Moses failed in this area. He even failed in this understanding. Look at verse 37. He tells me, he goes, also... The Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, you also shall not go in thither. What? It's easy to read over that and just go, oh, that's right. You know, Moses struck the rock and, and God was angry with him for misrepresenting God. You know, so now Moses can't go in the promised land. Hold on a second. There's a little tiny phrase there that's crucial. And the Lord was angry with me for your sake. What does that mean? For your sake? God was angry with me because of how I treated you. This, of course, refers to the striking the rock incident. Moses gave the people the impression that God was angry with them, which was the complete opposite of what God felt toward them. It's like Moses is telling the people, don't you see, guys? Knowing God loves you is more important to him. Him, making sure you know that he loves you is more important to him than me fulfilling my dream of going into this land. Because I blew it there, the Lord decided to discipline me so that you would know how much he loves you. <laughs> when I read that, we oftentimes think, man, that's harsh, God. I mean, Moses, this guy's putting up with a lot of junk. And now he blows it one time and he doesn't get to go into the land. Oh, but he blew it in such a big way. He got in the way of the people knowing that God loved them. And the Lord says, you will not do that. And I will make a point to them that they will understand that what you gave them is the furthest thing from the truth of how I feel about them. And every time they recognize and remember, that guy's not getting to go, that guy, the guy we give a hard time to all the time, he's not getting to go into the land. Why? Because God was angry at him because of what he did to us. Do you know how much God loves you? I hope you don't ever get the impression God's angry with you and I teach. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. 
God loves you with an everlasting love. He'll never stop loving you. Nothing you could do would ever make him stop loving you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that? It's one of the most important things we need to understand. Now, Moses transitions here and he says, now where these guys don't get to go into the land, I don't get to go into the land. Joshua and Caleb are it. But the Lord says it's not it. He says, but Joshua, the son of Nun, which stands before you, he shall go in thither. So Moses, I want you to encourage him for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. In other words, Moses, you don't get to wallow in pity over your failure. Focusing on yourself is exactly how you failed in the first place. You were so upset about how they were mistreating you and they were mistreating him. You were so upset about that. You're all focused on you. How oh, this stinks. I don't like the situation, man. It's not fair. That's how you got in this mess to begin with. So Moses, yeah, you're not going in the land, but you don't get to wallow in that pity. Now get your eyes off yourself and you go strengthen. You go encourage. You go teach Joshua how to lead these people because he's gonna be the one to bring them into the land. You serve the people from this point on, not by leading them into the land, but by preparing Joshua to lead them into the land. Now, he's saying, well, but if everyone's condemned to die in the desert for their unbelief, who's Joshua gonna lead in God's love? Well, it's every single one of the people that he's talking to right now in Deuteronomy, this generation. They're the ones who are gonna go in. Moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey. You said, oh, God's gonna kill our kids and our wives and they'll be taken as slaves. Moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil. They're the ones who are gonna go in and unto them will I give it and they shall possess it. But you, as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. This was the east-west road that led from Egypt to the country of Edom, and so they were right on the cusp of it. So they would have to leave Kadesh Barnea, get on that road, and head east. That, of course, answers why they took the long route, because the quickest route is right up there through the southern entrance into the promised land. The long route is to go around the desert to come in from the east. So Moses explains to them why it, you know, they're, they're, they're here instead of in Kadesh Barnea still. But what is very sad, and this is a rough end of this chapter, is that even in this the people didn't trust God's love because they rebel even more. Look at verse 41. Then you answered and said unto me, oh, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all the Lord our God commanded us. And when you had girded on every man his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the hill. You presumed, you know what? <sighs> we blew it. We're ready. Let's go fight. Let's go do this. And they all got all their weapons ready. And they, they come to Moses and tell him, we're ready to go. Can you imagine what it was like to be Moses? He's like, why are you all dressed for war? What's the newest command? Uh, I don't remember. Take the road of the Red Sea and go east toward Edom. That's the next command. That's God's new command. Yeah, yeah, yeah we don't want to do that. We want to go into the land now. We, we want to do a redo, redo. Rewind the DVR. Go back to the point before the horror story began. And the Lord said unto me, verse 42, Moses, you tell him, go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you lest you be smitten before your enemies. I love you. What are you doing? That's not the plan anymore. The plan is go east. Because if you go up there and you try to do this on your own, you're going to get whooped and I don't want that to happen to you. Even in this, God is loving them. I've got good things for you if you just obey me. It's a simple step. Go east. So I spoke unto you, verse 43. 
but you would not hear, which means you would not listen. But you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and you went presumptuously up into the hill, the hilly area that leads into the promised land of Canaan. And the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, they came out against you, and they chased you as bees do, and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah. I don't like bees. And it's kind of funny when they come around. Generally, when a bee comes around, what you don't see is people just kind of standing there going, I got this. People tend to scatter, even if they're not necessarily afraid of bees, because the problem with a bee is it never sits still. Like the bee doesn't just kind of hang out and chill. He's darting around and buzzing around, and he's moving slow. Slow enough that you can see him, but he's moving around enough that you're kind of not always exactly sure where he's going to go. So it unnerves you a little bit because you don't know if he's going to land on you. And so people tend to scatter when they see a bee in the vicinity, you know? And that's what happened to them. Numbers 14 had already told us about everything up to this point. Israel goes 55 miles into the promised land, and things are looking pretty good. I mean, nobody's coming out to fight them. And I'm sure everything looked great at first. They say, oh yeah, I guess we got this. They're already in cowering in fear. Everything's fine. But that 55-mile walk in was a real long walk back from the whooping they received for their stubbornness. A real long walk back. And verses 45 and 46, the story we didn't hear in Numbers, tells us their attitude when they got back. Verse 45, and you returned and you wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor give ear unto you. So you abode in Kadesh many days, according unto the days that you abode there. We read that verse all by itself. You just kind of think, that's kind of harsh, God. I mean, they just got whooped. Where's your mercy and love and grace now? A couple things missing from our English And then a couple of things in the English that we need to make sure we pay attention to here. Number one, the word there, wept. There's a word in Hebrew that refers to weeping with repentance. This is not it. This is just weeping because life stinks. They wept for what was lost. They wept for the horror of their situation, but they did not change their mind toward the Lord. You say, Pastor Will, how do you know that? Well, look at what it says here. So you abode in Kadesh. How long? Wait a second. What was God's instruction? Take the road to the Red Sea east towards Edom. But it says, did they make any move that way? Didn't take a single step. They came right back to the place God had given them that commandment and they sat there and they cried and cried and cried and cried. By their behavior, Israel showed they still didn't believe God loved them. They still didn't trust God. They sat around. In fact, if you read Numbers, it gives no indication they went anywhere for 38 years. We don't know if they went anywhere. It's funny, if you ever look at a map and say the journeys of Israel in the desert, takes them from Egypt and then goes down to Sinai and then it comes up to the promised land, they get to Kadesh and then between Kadesh and Edom, you'll see a bunch of circles because most people assume they just went in circles. We have no record of what they did except this. You sat there for many days. For all we know, they could have sat in Kadesh Barnea for 38 years, just grumbling at the Lord, crying their eyes out. So when we see the Lord didn't listen to them, it's because they didn't repent. Turn to 2 Corinthians 7 with me. Paul talks about this when he's speaking to the Corinthians. Before we did Luke, we had done 1 Corinthians. I like to every once in a while try to do a gospel as we're going through the New Testament, just because it's good to kind of hang out with Jesus for a while. We'll get to 2 Corinthians eventually. But remember, 1 Corinthians was kind of a crazy book, right? That was a messed up church. They had all sorts of issues, and Paul sends this letter, and it really is a letter of correction, right? I mean, he's dealing with all their issues, and one thing after another after another, he's teaching them, correcting them, training them the right way to do things. And so 2 Corinthians is a follow-up letter, and he mentions 1 Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians verse 8 of chapter 7, he says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I mean, I know I made you guys sad with the letter I wrote, but he goes, I don't repent of it. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not regretting that I wrote you that letter, though I did repent. In other words, it made me sad to think I caused you pain. He goes, but I don't regret doing it, even though I felt regret at times. 
Why? For I perceive, in my understanding of how you reacted to it, I perceive that same epistle has made you sorry, though it was just for a season. He says, you were sad because of the things I had to say to you, but it didn't last for a long time because you made the necessary changes. Verse nine. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, not just because you were sad, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. In other words, you didn't get bitter at me for writing it. You were sad to the fact that this is really true. This is what we've done. We need to make some changes. It broke their heart. Just like when I was giving that bad attitude to my son and and then I realized what I was doing and it broke my heart. I was like, whoa, Will, turn around. You are so far in the wrong direction. You need to get it right quick. That's what they did. They wept. They were sad because, God, what have we done? We've totally missed the boat. And then they turned around and started going in the right direction. For verse 10 says, godly sorrow works repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But then look what he says. But the sorrow of the world produces death. What's the sorrow of the world? What we see here in Deuteronomy. Horror at the situation you're in. Sadness for what's lost. Sadness for what you have to deal with the consequences now. Remember Esau? It talks about how he wept when he found out that Jacob had stolen his birthright. But Hebrews tells us there was no repentance found in him. He didn't weep because he realized how carnal he'd been and how all that had mattered to him was physical things and not his spiritual relationship with God. All he wept for was the fact that that guy beat me. He beat me again. He didn't care about his relationship with God. Hebrews calls him a profane man. It means he didn't care about spiritual things at all. So he had sorrow. He had tears, fierce tears, the Bible says, but just because of the consequences, just because of the horror of his situation not because he had broken God's heart or had ignored God or wasn't yielded to God. 1 John 1, 9 is a beautiful promise of God, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful promise of God. But Proverbs 28, 13 is equally true. He gives the other half to that equation. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. The last half of that verse equates to 1 John 1, 9, right? But the first half gives the other side of the equation. If you cover up your sin, what does it mean to cover up your sin? Make excuses for it? Have no intent to change? To think that the rules don't apply to you? You don't really think it's sin? Well, yeah, I blew it, but everybody blows it, and I have good reasons for why I blew it. If they wouldn't have said that, I would have done this. If they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this. That's all covered in covering your sin. Confession means to say the same thing someone else says about something. Homologio, homologio, to say the same thing that someone else says. To confess my sins means I say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. That never happens. That never happens for this generation in Deuteronomy 1. Never. They never came to that place of repentance. And it's because of that that God said, I'm not going to hear your prayers. I'm not going to hear your cries. Oftentimes, you know, I'll hear husbands who say, I don't feel like I'm making any headway in my walk with the Lord. I feel like there's this wall between me and him. And one of the first things I ask him, I say, well, are you dwelling with your wife with understanding? What does that have to do with it, Pastor Will? Everything. It says if you don't dwell with your wife with understanding, your prayers are cut off. I didn't say it. <laughs> Peter did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What did the prophet tell Saul? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Jesus, remember, he talked about relationships in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, if you're going to bring a gift to the altar, bring a gift to the Lord, he goes, and you know your brother has ought against you. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Go make things right with your brother. And then once you both come worship me together. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say that. See, they had not made things right with God. So their tears were meaningless. So the Lord would not hearken to your voice nor give ear unto you. 
You just sat there in Kadesh for many days, according unto the days that you abode there. I am fully convinced that if Israel repented and trusted that God could make their failure into something beautiful, I believe God would have given them a second chance. I think if Israel had come to the Lord and said, you know what, Lord? We're ready to go the east way. We'll do whatever you say from this point. We know we blew it, and we don't want to do that anymore. Do you know what I believe God would have done? Because we'd already seen it. Remember when God came to Moses and he said to him, he said, Moses, step aside, I'm going to wipe them out. And what does Moses do? He says, Lord, please don't wipe them out. They're your people called by your name. You rescued them from Egypt. You love them. And he reminds the Lord of his promise. And what does the Lord do? He goes, that's all I was looking for, an excuse to forgive him. And he does it. He, he forgives him. And then he tells Moses, he goes, well, I'll forgive him, but I'm not going with him. And Moses is like, oh, okay, that's not what I wanted either. He says, Lord, if you don't go with us, he says, I don't want to go. The whole idea of us going to Egypt and leaving Egypt and going to the promised land isn't so much that there's a promised land and it's not Egypt. It's that it's, we're with you. We have this relationship with you. So if you're not going, I don't want to go. What does the Lord say? All right, I'll go with you. I fully believe that if the people had come to God and said, all right, Lord, the plan is to go east toward Edom now. We're on board. We believe you love us. We believe you know what's best for us. We failed and we don't want to do it again. So we're going to trust you. You know what I think the Lord would have done? I think the Lord has said, you know, I see some Amorites over there. <laughs> Why don't you go take that city? I think the Lord would have been merciful beyond their wildest dreams. But they didn't. And so he wasn't. And so they wandered for 38 years and ended up where they are now. We read in Psalm 95 in our scripture reading that the reason that Israel got in trouble is because they didn't know his ways. In Psalm 95, verse 10, he says, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation. And I said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. They just never got that I love them. And I ask you tonight as we close, do you know God's ways? That he loves you with an everlasting love? If you and I are gonna love him supremely, we have to understand that first. We have to. We have to get that, that he loves you with an everlasting love. You have to become absolutely convinced that he loves you, he set his love upon you, and nothing you can do will ever change that. Because that's the thing that's gonna melt your heart when you've just blown it again. That's the thing that's going to cause you to come back to this thing and open it up when you don't think there's any reason for him to take you back and to cling to those words that are sitting there because you are convinced absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you and that he'll never leave you or forsake you. You've got to know that. So do you know that tonight? Do you believe it? Will you trust him? You know, in Psalm 107, the psalmist cries, Oh, that men would trust the Lord. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. And there's one section of it that I want to leave you with tonight, and then we'll pray. It says in Psalm 107, verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And that word goodness means his love, his chesed, his loyal love, his unconditional devotion. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord because of his love. Why? For he satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. And who is that hungry soul? Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. And why are they there? Because they rebelled against the words of God. They condemned, they looked down on the counsel of the Most High. Well, therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They disobeyed the Lord, there were consequences for that. They fell down and there was none to help. But here it is. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And he broke their bands in sunder. Wherever you might be tonight, that's what he does. That's how much he loves you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. I don't care if you just did it today. You need to be convinced how much he loves you because he wants to break those chains forever. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your love and though we don't get it. You, your servant Paul, he prayed that we would comprehend the length, the depth, the height, the breadth of the unsearchable riches of the love of God. Lord, you're gonna be showing us your kindness, you say in your word, for all eternity. 
just unveiling another page of just how gracious and how loving and how good you are to us. So Lord, maybe tonight was one of those pages for some. And I know the enemy wants to rip them off right now and say, not for you, not for you, not because of what you've done. You'll never change. You'll always be the way you are. Don't even bother. Lord, it is to the ones in chains that you have said, if you cry out to me, I'll take you into my arms and I'll break those chains. But we don't want to continue to run away from you. And so we yield our lives to you tonight to turn that page and receive your love, deepen our understanding, and thereby deepen our love for you in return. Lord, hear those cries tonight as there are some I know are saying, God, please forgive me. Work change in their life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God loves us. We did not earn his love, nor could we work towards more of his favor. But when we are convinced of God's love towards us and that he is able to equip us and fulfill all that he has called us for, there is no stopping us. With God, all things are possible. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.